hey, as we turn now to the Lord in his word, we get to do so on a week where Wednesday there's this thing called Reformation Day. Some of you know it well. Some of you are like, what is that? I thought that was November 8th when we cast our ballots, right? Well, here's the thing. About 500 years ago, 500 years ago, two men in particular, Martin Luther, John Calvin, were studying their Bibles deeply, seeing that there were issues in the church of their day. They were reading their Bibles and they were, they were on fire as they realized our God is much bigger. Our God is much bigger. His word runs much deeper than what I'm learning here. And, and as they opened up the Bible, as they went back to some of the truths of the early church, it set their hearts on fire for God's truth and how it connects with real life. One of the great truths to come out of that is what we call the perseverance of the saints. Many of you have heard this. Many of you are going, not another sermon on perseverance. Yes, yes, it is a glorious thing. It is a beautiful thing. And yes, we can go to the Bible and say that if we are in Christ, we are once saved. We are always saved. We forever will be saved. And when we unpack that rightly, when we see that, that truth provides joy. It is heartwarming. It is soul satisfying. It pops praise. It works worship. It generates gratitude. And it helps you in the daily grind and the daily grime of everyday life. So let's unpack this together. I actually want to start here. The great preacher, one of my heroes, a man named James Montgomery Boyce once said this. He said that people lack perseverance. People start things and they drop them. It's like, ouch. <laughs> As men and women, you and I are always beginning things that we never actually find the time, and I would throw in, never had the time, to finish. Does that ring true of your life? Do you have around the house projects that are still sitting undone and it's been four trips to Lowe's, five weekends, maybe three or four months later. Anybody, anybody want to cop to that? Yeah, we're fickle. We're fickle. We're fickle. We often struggle to finish what we start. And I am the king of sinners in that regard. You are not allowed in our basement, right? There we go. Well, today we learn as we study perseverance that our God finishes what he starts. And this is so wonderful. This is so beautiful. We learn today that he has begun something in our lives and he will see it through to completion. We learn about our God that he does this, but we learn about his heart. We learn about his character. We learn so much about him that we need in the everyday life and with that said, let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I know we covered this verse in part two weeks ago, but I want to cover it in depth today. I want to wring the washcloth on it. Friends, here is God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's try something new. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. I want you to say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and you are, you are what his word says that you are. Are. Oh, friends, as we break down this topic, this truth of perseverance, we're going to cover three things about it. Here's the order that we're going. We're going to cover what it is. 
We're going to cover why we need it, and we're going to cover at the very end what we do with it. This is going to be theoretical, but practical. The rubber's going to meet the road, so what it is, why we need it, and what we do with it. Let's go. Let's look at what it is, what it is. Let's take a closer look at our text. Go back with me to verse 6. Let's look at that phrase, he who began. God begins our salvation. That is a beautiful truth. That is worthy of proclaiming. Amen. He starts it. It is not in our hands. It is in his hands. What does this mean for us? It means things like this. Many of us were not seeking him, but he sought us. Many of us would have never chose him, but he chose us before the foundations of the world. Many of us, some of us, maybe you were like me where you spent a long time, like a year, resisting his work in your life, but you succumbed as you felt the muscle fibers of his power and his love extending in his long arm of salvation reaching around you, grabbing you, drawing you to him, and your resistance crumbled. That's what it means. God initiates and we respond. He begins our life in him. He who began, he who began. Now let's look at this other phrase, a good work in you, a good work in you. What does that mean? Let's unpack that. What's a good work? That good work is nothing other than our salvation. In Jesus Christ, God gives us a new record in life. Our sin is no longer held against us. God remembers it no more. The Reformed word for that is justification. He gives us a new identity as his son or daughter whom he loves dearly. We call that adoption. He gives us a new heart that yearns for him and wants the things that he wants for this world. We call that regeneration. He gives us a new family of fellow believers that we can support in hard times and they can support us as we enter into hard times. We call that the church. He gives us a new life that not even death can break. We call that eternal life. In short, we are new creations. Have you ever worked in the yard, gotten grimy? You know, the dirt under your fingernails dirty? You can wipe your arms and you see the dirt on your arm hairs dirty. And you go inside and you take a nice hot shower. You put on clothes right out of the laundry and you sip your favorite refreshing beverage and you just feel clean and refreshed. That is the work that Jesus Christ has begun in you. He's begun it in you. But here's the thing. As this good work begins... There's complications. There's complications. There's trials. There's problems. There's tribulations. We have old patterns. We have old habits. We have old desires that trip us up, and so we stumble and we fall. We live in a fallen world where we know tragedy, heartbreak, trial. We know betrayal, and so we stumble and we fall. We have an enemy that still actively opposes us and tries to get us off track, even though Satan has been dealt a mortal blow and we sung about that in our mighty fortress, he still can act. And so we stumble and we fall. In light of these complications, it can seem so tough to live for Jesus, can't it? 
We mess up. Pastors mess up. The best of us, the worst of us, mess up. As these forces weave together, we slip, we fall, we stumble, we lose ground. People around us do the same. It can feel like we're never going to change. Oh, it can feel like God is so distant and so far and so removed. It can feel like his promises will never materialize or become real, can't it? That is a very real thing. When this happens, we can feel like failures or we can feel worthless. We can wonder if our salvation is not a reality but an illusion. There's good news. There's good news. Look at the next phrase. He who began a good work in you will do what? He will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful truth that flows from that clause, that phrase right there. It is this. He is still working. He did not stop and start. He does not give you whiplash. No, Jesus Christ is at work in you right now. And there's two ways that he is at work in you. First, he has given you the down payment and the seal of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus several times in the New Testament. The Spirit of Jesus resides in you, guiding you, illuminating God's truth in his word as he speaks to you. It reminds you that you are his child, he is your father, and that ain't going to change. He works in you. That's the first thing he does to work right now. What's the second thing he does? The second thing he does is he is working for you from heaven. Did you know that Jesus Christ is in heaven working for you right now? Did you know that? Come on, you can smile at this. Watch this. Right now in heaven, he intercedes for you. That means when you stumble, when you fall, when you are suffering, Jesus Christ is praying for you. Right now. He is your advocate right now. That means when you stumble and when you fall, you have the best defense attorney possible. He advocates for you. He argues your case based on his works, not on yours. Oh, that'll pick your soul up. He is your mediator right now. What does that mean? That means he is fully God so he can put his hand on God. He is fully man so he can put his hand on you and bring the two together. And when you stumble, when you fall, he does not stop mediating. Oh, he's still for you. He's got you in his hands. He's got you in his arms and he ain't letting go. But that's not all. He is your intercessor. He is your advocate. He is your mediator. But he is your king. Right now, Jesus Christ is reigning on your behalf, working for your good. When stumbles happen, when falls happen, when trials come, he is still reigning, saying, I allowed that to happen. I could handle it, but I allowed it to happen so I could show you that those ways are not my ways and they don't work. Oh, he is your intercessor. He is your advocate. He is your mediator. He is your king. We're going to seminary today, folks. Oh, he is at work in you. He is at work for you. And he is at work in the person who's sitting here that you don't like today if they are in Christ. Oh, that's got a lot of implications where the rubber sure meets the road. 
He is at work in you. He is at work for you. He has worked in you. He is working in you. He is working for you, and he will continue to work in you and for you until you die or until he returns. Christian, your past is secure. Your present is secure. Your future is secure. And no power of hell, no scheme of man, no doubt, no deficit, no insecurity, no failure can stop that work from going forward. Oh, Grace Church, that's good news. You are secure. Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an analogy. Have you ever walked with a little child through a grocery store parking lot? Have you? Anybody? Show of hands. This is not an embarrassing question. We can raise our hands. Have you ever walked that child with their slippery, candy, sticky, whatever bodily fluid is on their hand hand? Parking lots and little children do not go well together, do they? We get PTSD walking our little children, our grandchildren through a parking lot, don't we? Especially when it's busy. They like to pull away to do what? To run to the gumballs machine. To beat their little brother or little sister to the red box DVD machine so they can pick the first movie or to see who gets to ride with daddy in the cart, right? They love to break away from your hand and run across the parking lot. When we walk through the parking lot and we want to protect our children to preserve their life so that they will persevere, what is more important? How tightly they hold your hand or how tightly you hold their hand? It's how tightly we Hold their hand. That is what we are talking about in this verse right now. Your father's hand is holding yours, and his grip is strong, and it is sure. Oh, friends, this is perseverance. Your God has begun to work. He is working, and he will continue to work to bring you safely home. When you are in Christ. You will not, you cannot fall away. I've given you an illustration, now let me give you some other Bible verses. Go with me to John chapter 10. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. There's a great double click in these two verses. Do you see how you are in Jesus's hand in verse 28, the first bold set of letters? But who else's hand are you in? Say it. You're in the Father's hand. The Father has a hand on you. Jesus has a hand on you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That is good news. It is good news because they each have a free hand to guide you, to protect you, to shield you, to work on you, while the other hand holds you fast. Because our God is at work in you, because he is at work for you, you are being perfected, you will be made complete. We call this wonderful truth the perseverance of the saints. It's a wonderful truth, but let's see now why we need it. Why do we need this truth? Why do we need this truth? There's a lot of reasons. I had 20, and I cut it down to three. You're welcome. We're going to get out of here on time this morning. What are the three reasons we need this truth? Let me share them with you. Number one, number one, We need perseverance, as I've already kind of alluded to. We need perseverance because we're fickle. We are fickle. Just this week, one of my kids came up to me on Friday morning. You know what he said? He had the opportunity to wear his costume to school. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, should I or should I not? Now, with this particular youngin', I'm less worried about the decision they make 
And mama and I are more worried on getting him to stick to a decision that he has made. Parents, any of you? So I said, son, come here. We're going to do option A, pros and cons. We're going to do option B, pros and cons. And I'm feeling like father of the year. I'm feeling like I'm on it. I brought my A game as a father this morning, or Jesus has caused me to persevere as a father. We walk him through it. So what's it going to be, son, A or B? What are you going to do? Option A, I'm not wearing the costume. Okay, great. Now let's stick to it. Five minutes later, what happens? Mom, mom, wait, wait, wait. I want to take the costume. I want to take the costume. We're fickle. Are we not? Is this not an analogy for you and for me? This is how we can be. We don't always wake up in the morning and our first thought is about Jesus. A lot of times we get to lunch and it's like Bible, prayer, Bible, prayer. Should probably get on that. And it's not just moments. If we're honest, we have seasons where we forget Jesus. We don't want what he wants. His desires are not our desires. We will have these seasons and we are fickle. And because we are fickle, we need God to move first. But because we're fickle, we need God to keep on moving. And he does. He does. Our God is not fickle. He is unchanging. We call this immutable. Our God does not change. He does not change his mind about you, his affections for you do not change. They always run high. When you do not want Jesus, he still wants you, and he is at work to change that lack of want to in you. Perseverance is a shield against our fickle nature. That's number one. What's number two? We need perseverance because it reveals our God's character and his heart for you and me. Right? Like we just said, perseverance shows us that God is unchanging. If he's going to bring it through to completion, he's unchanging. He's immutable. I know my God better. I see his heart. I see his character. That's awesome, right? He's unchanging, but what else is he? If our God brings us to completion, then our God is powerful. Nothing can stop him from finishing this work in you. Oh, nothing can stop it. He will accomplish it. His love never expires. It never runs out. You cannot exhaust it. Whatever you face on this planet, you face with his strength and the knowledge that one way or another he's going to bring you through. Perseverance teaches us that our God is powerful. He is unchanging. He is powerful. What else? He's faithful. He's faithful. If our God brings this work in us to completion, then he must be faithful. He does not get tired with you. You do not wear him out. He does not get fed up with you and trade you in for someone half your age. Have you ever been working on an arts and crafts project and you just rip it up, throw it away, and start over? Men, have you ever been in the garage and you get mad at what you're doing? It's got too many nicks, too many dings, too many miscuts. Throw it away. Back to Lowe's. More lumber. The wife's like, really? Yes. No, I got to get this right. God does not throw you away. He does not discard you. He keeps on working on you. He is faithful. He is unchanging. He is powerful. He is faithful. What else do we learn about our God? We learn this. If he works in us to preserve us and to cause us to persevere, he really must be a God of grace. He must be full of grace. How can I say that? I am not. 100% the person that I want to be. I'll own it. I have warts. 
I am not worthy of this gift of perseverance. I am not worthy of him beginning a work in me. I am not worthy of him continuing to work in me. I, none of those things are true of me. I don't deserve to persevere. I don't deserve to be preserved. But he gives me this amazing gift anyways. Would any of us say we're worthy? But he still causes us to persevere. What a gift of grace. Our God is unchanging. Our God is powerful. Our God is faithful. And our God is full of grace. What else? One final thing. We'll make it a joint one. Our God, our God, if he causes us to persevere throughout all of our lives, he must be patient and he must be gentle. He completes us over time. He will keep patiently working on you until the day you die, and he will keep patiently working on his people until Jesus returns. That's a lot of patience. That's a lot of patience. And he's gentle. He's gentle. My God has never revealed to me all of my sin all at once. He gives it to me in chunks. Right? Has he ever, has he ever done that to you? Now, there are times where I intensely feel conviction, and it may feel like sandpaper or steel wool on my soul, but that's just him getting the hard spots out, right? By and large, that is not how my God treats me. That's not how your God treats you. He is so much more like a mama gently removing the Band-Aid off of a five-year-old's skint knee. That's how he handles us. That's how he works on us. He is unchanging. He is powerful. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is patient. He is gentle. Do you see your God? Do you behold your God? That is who he is. Oh, friends, oh, friends. We need perseverance because we're fickle. We need perseverance because it shows us who our God is. What's number three? We need perseverance because it fuels and drives our worship. Take everything we just learned about our God and his great heart for us, that unchanging quality, that power, that faithfulness, that gentleness, that grace, that patience. He is that to us when we are fickle. Doesn't that just make you say, praise God? Doesn't that pop praise, work up worship, and generate gratitude? That alone should drive our worship. Worship is not a thing of duty. It is a thing of delight. Let me say it this way. It is not just a thing of duty. It is commanded to be sure, but it is a thing of delight when I behold him. But there's another reason it fuels worship. Go with me to the cross. Can we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? Do you see how Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter, the one who began our faith in endured the cross. What's another word for endured? He persevered. Jesus Christ persevered for you and me. What does that mean? How did Jesus Christ persevere for you and me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father to take the cup of his wrath away from him. Yet Jesus said, not my will but yours, and he persevered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as God's wrath was looming, he felt a great agony where he sweat either blood or drops of sweat that were like blood. His heart was pounding so fast, it produced that kind of sweat. Yet he persevered. He was betrayed, lied about, beaten, dehydrated, starved, mocked, tortured. 
yet he persevered. He persevered. He then carried the cross some 600 meters. How far is that? Go to that track out there, walk a lap and a half. That's 600 meters. That's perseverance. But he didn't just carry a cross. He carried a heavy cross. Scholars will argue whether it was 55 pounds, 90 pounds, a full 300 pounds. The poundage doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How do we know that Christ's cross was heavier than any man's cross that any other man had to bear? How do we know it was the heaviest cross ever? Because it was weighed down by the sin of all of those who had come to faith in him. That's how heavy his cross was. Yet he carried it that lap and a half and he persevered. Jesus was even persevering when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was definitely persevering till the end so he could say, It is, oh, in our Savior. He persevered to the very end, and he persevered for you. He persevered for me, and he persevered for other people here in northwest Indiana that just don't know it yet. Do you see him persevering for you at the cross? Do you see him persevering for that other person that's here this morning at the cross? Let's ask a question. If he went through all of that, how could he stop preserving us now? How could he stop causing us to persevere? His perseverance at the cross makes our perseverance in this life possible. And what is our response to this? Why do we need perseverance? Because our response is to bow down, say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It is to sing to him. It is to confess sin to him. It is to take heart as we come to the table and celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is to to robustly in our hearts or out loud say amen when we hear his word preached. Perseverance. It protects us from fickleness. It teaches us who our God is, and it fuels and drives our worship. That's why we need it. We've seen what it is. We see why we need it. Now, what do we do with it? I've given you so what, the so what, what's the now what? What's the now what? Let's close here with three things that we can do. I'm going to start wide with the church and work our way into you and me as individuals. Let's start with the church. What do we do with perseverance? First, we persevere by not giving up on his church. Not giving up on his church. I might have this in reverse order from the slides, but we persevere by not giving up on his church. Generally speaking, if I could just make a blanket statement, too many people are cynical towards the local church today. Oh, I get it that hurts are real. I get it that scandals happen. I get that there are hypocrisies in the church. I do not want to minimize that, and I do not want to turn my eye to the fact that I have been one of those people. I've caused the hurt. I've been hurt. It happens. It's real. I get it. I get it. But the local church is still Jesus' bride. She still matters to him, and he's still working on her to make her beautiful. He's still working on her to make her beautiful. You cannot make a flawless church out of flawed people that Jesus Christ is still working on. Can we just say amen to that, known that, and lean into that? The great uh, Reformed Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this, if you find a perfect church, do not join it. Why? We'll ruin it. <laughs> Amen? Amen. All right. That's generally with the church. Don't give up on her. Persevere. Grace Church, persevere. Persevere. Why? I'm not going to spook you right here. I'm preparing you. We are about to enter into years three through five here at Grace. Years three through five are where you lose your first people. 
years three through five are usually, statistically speaking, when some kind of internal turbulence or external turbulence happens. The church is not immune from it, and we need to be ready. I am not trying to scare you. I am not trying to spook you. But we need to be ready. We need to know that that's going to happen. We need to know that it is common. And in perseverance, we have a tool. We have a tool. This church especially needs to be ready. Why do we need to be ready? Because we have had it so good our first two years. Right? 230 members within 27 months, a $400,000 budget talking about land, over $300,000 sitting in a building and land fund. We've had it good, Grace. Satan's going to come. He's going to strike. I don't know when. I don't know how. I'm not saying there are problems looming right now. Do not hear what I am not saying. But we need to be ready. We need to persevere. Go to our verse again. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. When it says, He who began a good work in you is translated, He who began a good work in y'all. You all. From Jersey, it'd be used guys, right? However you say all y'all, that is how you translate this passage. Grace Church, he has begun such a good work in us. I love doing membership interviews, baptism interviews, because I hear about your changed lives, and I wish we could start getting some videos up of how lives have changed and hang them on the internet and tell all of NWI about what Jesus is doing here. Oh, friends, oh, friends. He's worked in us together. So when turbulence comes, we persevere together. Amen? Amen? That's one. Let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. What's number two? Persevere by not giving up on his other people. Persevere by not giving up on another person. Perseverance means that another Christian in your life is still a work in progress. Our God is at work in them too. You will sin against other people. They will sin against you. I will splash mud against you. You will splash mud against me. I apologize in advance. I forgive you in advance. But when we remember, when we remember, we are works in progress. You are a work in progress. I got my junk too. I'm a work in progress. When we have that perspective, it protects you from being jaded. It protects you from being bitter. It protects you from being cynical. It helps you to see that conflict is not always bad. It's not always sinful. It's not always a failure. In fact, conflict in Christ is neutral. It goes bad if you let it go bad, but it can become a redemptive opportunity when we remember that God is at work perfecting us and completing us as he puts us together and friction happens. He is at work in that other person. When you remember their perseverance, you remember I need to pray for that person. If I need to pray for my enemies, how much more do I need to pray for my brother or sister? If I can just say it, that annoys me. Oh, friends, don't give up on his church. Don't give up on his people. What's the last and final thing we'll say this morning? We'll say this. Perseverance means you cannot give up on the work he's done in you. You cannot give up on the work he's done in you. Perseverance is no license for laziness to let go and say, well, I'm just going to do whatever because I'm going to persevere. You don't understand perseverance if you would ever say or think that. It can never make you lazy. But friends, backsliding will happen. Slips and falls will happen. What do you do? 
you do not give up on the work he's already done in you. We will have bad days, but we can know that he is still at work. His work in your life is based on his work, not your work. In fact, when we slip on our bad days, can I just throw something out there? Do not look at yourself. The famous preacher Robert Murray McShine once said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. On your bad days, take 20. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's good advice, but how do you do that? Do you remember that perseverance revealed our God's character? It revealed his heart. Oh, go to your Bible. Go to your Bible on the bad day. Don't run and hide from your Lord like Adam tried. You can't. Go to him in the Bible. Read about the Red Sea and see your God's power as he splits the waves. Know that he split the waves to protect and shield his people so that they would persevere. Go read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and look at all that he did in creation out of love for Adam, for Eve, for you, and for me. See his kind, giving heart. Go to the Bible and see more of his heart on every page. See how it points forward to Jesus Christ and what it teaches you about him. And as you do that, you will get the spotlight off of yourself and what you did not do, what you cannot do, and you will look at what he's done and what he can do and what he will do. We persevere. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, Father God, you are so good. You are the God of perseverance. You are the God who keeps us. You are the God who protects us. You are our guardian. You are the one who has delivered us, is delivering us, and will deliver us. You are the God who has redeemed us, is redeeming us, and will redeem us. You are the God who has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. Oh, Father God, we are in your hands, and we cannot jump out. Your hand is upon us, your son's hand is upon us, and your spirit is in us. Father, we give you praise, we give you thanks. May we go live this week, Father, persevering for you and persevering and laboring to bring others to Jesus. We love you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.